0: Thank you for joining us today for the ministry of the word at Foundation Church. We pray that what you hear today will be as much of a blessing for you as it was for the people of our congregation. Well, greetings this Lord's Day in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, our Savior, and our King. It is another great day that God has given us, a day where He woke us up. He gave us breath breath. He gave us life and He gave us another day to live for Him. Amen? Amen. Amen. Psalm 68, our call to worship says, Let God arise and let His enemies be scattered. Let them also that hate Him flee before Him. And as smoke is driven away, so drive them away. As wax melteth before the fire, so let the wicked perish at the presence of God. But let the righteous be glad. Let them rejoice before God. Yea, let them exceedingly rejoice. Sing unto God. Sing praises unto His name. Extol Him that rides upon the heavens by His name, Jah, And rejoice before Him. A father of the fatherless, a judge of the widows, is God in His holy habitation. God sets the solitary in families. He bringeth out those which are bound with chains, but the rebellious dwell in a dry land. O God, when thou wentest forth before thy people, when thou didst march through the wilderness, the earth shook, the heavens dropped at the presence of God, even Sinai itself was moved at the presence of God, the God of Israel. Thou, O God, didst send a plentiful rain, whereby thou didst confirm thine inheritance when it was weary. Thy congregation hath dwelt therein, thou, O God, thou hast prepared of thy goodness for the poor. The Lord gave the word, great was the company of those that published it. Kings of armies did flee apace, and she that tarried at home divided the spoil. Though you have lean among the pots, you shall be as the wings of a dove, covered with silver and her feathers with yellow gold. When the Almighty scattered kings in it, it was white as snow in Solomon. The hill of God is as the hill of Bashan, as high hill as the hill of Bashan. Why leap ye, ye high hills? This is the hill which God desires to dwell in. Yea, the Lord will dwell in it forever. The chariots of God are 20,000, even thousands of angels. The Lord is among them as in Sinai in his holy place. Thou hast ascended on high and thou hast led captivity captive. And thou hast received gifts for men. Yea, for the rebellious also, that the Lord God might dwell among them. Blessed be the Lord who daily loads us with benefits, even the God of our salvation. What a call to worship today. Amen? Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you, Lord, that you call us, that you invite us to the great feast, a feast that we did not deserve to come to. Lord, but you invite us anyway. Lord, we are the blind, the halt, and the maimed that have been compelled out of the highways and byways to come into your house. And here, Lord, we are your children, Lord, inheritors of the grace that you have offered to us freely. We pray today, Lord, that as we sing your praises, as we confess our sins, as we call on you, that you will hear us, Lord, and you will answer Lord God, change us and make us like you. Speak to us and we will be changed. In Christ's name, all God's people said, Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. Remain standing as I read for you. My text, which will be the entirety of Psalm 126. And uh, my sermon today is called God Turns. Everybody say God Turns. This is a somewhat of a play on words, but it is directly from the scripture. Uh, Sister Joy, I would say this, where there are no U-turns, There are God turns. What do you think about that? (laughs) Kind of got me excited as the Lord began to put on my heart. Psalm 126. We're going to read about one of the greatest God turns in the history of all of mankind. Psalm 126. When the Lord turned again the captivity of Zion... We were like them that dream. Then was our mouth filled with laughter and our tongue was singing. And then said they among the heathen, the Lord hath done great things for them. Turn again our captivity, O Lord, as the streams in the south. They that sow in tears shall reap in joy He that goeth forth and weepeth, bearing precious seed, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. And I know you were expecting me to say it like the song, they that go forth rejoicing, bringing in the sheaves. I don't know, does anyone know that song? Am I the only person that knows that song? Bringing in the sheaves. It's a great song. All right, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the powerful words of Psalm 126 that were for them much more powerful than they could be for us if we did not understand. And I pray today, Lord, that the people here today will understand what these words are. They seem so brief, so understated for what they represent, but the power of them has the power really to change our lives today, and I pray that it would. In Christ's name we pray, all God's people said amen. You may be seated. Seventy years had passed since Israel's worst day in all of their history. A day like there had never been, nor, according to Scripture, would ever be Again, the walls of Jerusalem, their once gleaming city, had been breached and torn down by the Babylonians. As their enemy sacked and pillaged, they also ascended the steps of Mount Zion, wrecking and burning Solomon's temple and carrying away all of the precious vessels from inside the temple. Priests in sacred garments were slaughtered. And screaming and wailing filled the once-singing streets of Zion. In the fervent heat of this destruction, gold from the precious things melted and made glittering streets of gold beneath the smoking furnace of God's judgment. The unthinkable had become a reality as the blood of the children of Israel soaked the city of God and sackcloth and ashes could not even be found to mourn because the destruction was so violent and so sudden there was not even time to grieve. The God who had promised them the land which became Israel and this gleaming city and the kingdom that would endure forever had also promised them that if they had fallen more in love with the city or the land or even the nation itself or the temple that God had given him, if they fell more in love with those things than love with him, that he would take those from them and he would destroy them in front of them and they would watch and see their destruction and be taken away from the land that they were given. God keeps all his promises, all of them, for his good, for our good and for his glory. We like to think of the promises that God keeps, the ones that we like, but we forget about the other promises that God makes that he keeps as well. If you believe that the promises that God has made a nation like the United States, the ones that if we would honor him and and we would do good, that God would be here, God also promised to bring us great judgment, and God has done it. God has put us in a place where men don't know if they're men or women, where the righteousness is vilified and looked at as something that is disgusting and, and, and it is the most intolerable thing in the world that we live in right now. Godliness or believing what God says is true has become the only intolerable thing right now in our country. They tolerate everything else. They would only tolerate it, they celebrate it. Here in Israel's day, Nebuchadnezzar's army, once they had overwhelmed the city, executed King Zedekiah's sons in front of him since he had refused to surrender during the siege of the city. They then gouged out Zedekiah's eyes before binding him in bronze shackles and leading him off to Babylon. Thousands upon thousands of Israelites who called Judah their home, who lived in the city of Jerusalem, were captured, and they followed the blind king of Judah to be made slaves in Babylon. Everybody say the unthinkable is actually possible. When we hear about, with God all things are possible, we think about, the Immaculate Conception, we think about the great things, but I'll tell you right now, many believe that America is invincible, but it is not. Within the last week, three uh, things have been shot down over our sky from a nation that possesses nuclear weapons, who hates our country, who hates our way of life who is our enemy, who would like to destroy us. And we go, yeah, but we're over here. We're in the land of the free. We're in the home of the brave. We're on this big island and nothing can happen to us. We're just going to enjoy our Starbucks and our Chipotle and our Netflix. And we're going to enjoy our binge watching and our Wi-Fi and all the good things we have. And nothing certainly is going to interrupt our party. Well, let me tell you what. The people that lived in Jerusalem with their high and fortified walls believed the same thing. But their day came when they were slaves being hauled off behind a blind king with not only their city sacked, but their temple destroyed. Their priests slaughtered. Their way of life had come to an end. And the people that had been brought out of Egypt were put into another Egypt to be slaves again. The entire identity of the children of Israel that they had been brought out of Egypt and God sent them back. This great tribulation had overcome them. And the hell-like horrors replaced the city of God as the Lord used the Babylonians to return them as slaves in their brand new Egypt. They had forgotten the God who saved them from Pharaoh. And now, 70 years later, the ones that were still alive in Babylon from that time had almost forgotten what it was to be free. This... Slavery went on, this difficult time went on for 70 years. Can you imagine what it would be like? Imagine if the Chinese or the Russians or the North Koreans or whoever it might be came and they took over our nation. And for 70 years, we were under the horror, horrible regime of these ungodly, merciless people. And we were saying to ourselves, we used to be free, but we don't even remember what it was like. We don't remember what it was to be able to gather on the Lord's Day. Oh, if we could come again and worship God in the church. Oh, if we could sing the praises of God. You might go, are you fear-mongering? You've never heard me ever do that once from this pulpit. But I'm telling you right now, God has promised his judgment when his people turn away from him, when they love the things of this world, when they worship idols, when the people that God has saved live this way. God will not allow it to continue We name the name of Christ. We represent Christ in the world today. And would be to God, He would flatten and destroy and annihilate and vaporize everything that we think is lovely and beautiful if it would call us to Him. This is what happened to them. Do you think it will happen again? For many at the time, they had been in Babylon for 70 years and they forgot what it was like to be free. Their hope was all but gone. The same prophets who carried God's warning of impending judgment had also promised, though, that this would come to an end. If this ever happens to us and you live through it, you may hold on to that same promise as well. God does not just get even with us for being stupid and for following after idols. God loves us enough to bring us to repentance, and that's what he did. It took 70 years of letting the land rest because they refused to let it rest God took them out of that land so that it would God promised them at the end of 70 years they would be restored to their homeland could you imagine Tim trying to believe this imagine you had to tell 50 years into it 60 years into it most of the older people are dead And you're having to go, hey, you know, God says this is going to come to an end here pretty soon. (laughs) And we're going to all be back at home. How many people think that there were a whole lot of people that believed that was actually going to happen? (laughs) They did not. There were people who did, but I wouldn't say there were very many. There were those few, the Shadrach, the Meshach, and Abednego, the Daniels, who were praying, who were asking God, oh Lord, what shall we do? You know, God always keeps a remnant. He always keeps people who do not bow to the idols of the age, people who do not bow to Baal, right? At the time of Elijah, remember what he said, I might be the only one left, God. And he said, yeah, you're not. I have thousands that have never bowed their knee one time. You see, at that time, uh, the, the king had all, and the queen, and you know, those nasty people who were leading the land, you know, Jezebel, you know, remember those guys? They were, they were the leaders, they had all of these Baal worshipers around in their court, hanging out with them, profaning the name of God. Elijah believed it was hopeless, and God said, no, it's not. You might be living right now, and you know, they have drag queens preaching in churches and, and you know, homosexuals being ordained uh, in their pulpits, and when people look at it and say that There's something wrong with it. People look at them with a sneer and go, oh, you're so disgusting. You're so mean. You're so unchristian. Because the most Christian thing in the world is to embrace all of this. Folks, we live in a world that has been turned upside down, but not for the good. You see, this is what God does to his people. That's what Romans chapter 1 says. It says, when people who know about God refuse to think about him and do what they want. He turns them over to reprobate minds. It says in Romans chapter 1 that he turns them up to where women lust for women even. They said that's like, that's even, men lusting for men, men have always been dogs, but when women start losing their natural affection for their children, when they start losing the natural affection God gave them for men, then the world has gone mad and we live in a day where, what do you mean, Mark? What are you talking about? This is just, a normal thing. No, it's not. It's horrible, horrendous, abominable, and disgusting. And now it's not just living in the world, it's living in the church. And God will not have it. Even in our town, this is going on. The The local church right down the road, they, they have sided with the group that goes with homosexuals being ordained. The, a church across the street in this little tiny town, that church is owned and run by people who who are all about political correctness and wokeness and this blindness. This is going on. And you go, Pastor Mark, you never talk about this kind of stuff from the pulpit. Well, this is what I need to talk about today because it's what happened to Israel. Israel turned from God and God destroyed everything they had and removed them out of their country for 70 years. That's what Psalm 126 is about. You see, when God does this, God is faithful to take it all from us so that we're left with nothing but Him. We might look at that and say, well, that's cruel and mean. No, it's not cruel. When God takes everything from us that we love more than Him, and all we got left is Him, Tim, that's not God being mean. That's God loving us. That's God's kindness. And at the end of 70 years, it was at that moment that God turned things around. Everybody say, God turned things around. You think they were able to turn things around at that point? Where there were no U-turns, there are God turns. Psalm 126 was written to remember another day like no other, but not one filled with death and destruction. It was a day when God turned everything around for his people as suddenly as their calamity had overtaken them. These captives were now free. The closest we might be able to come to imagine anything like this in our memorable history is what it might have been like on May the 8th of 1945 when they announced that Germany had capitulated, that they had uh, surrendered They call it Victory Day or Victory in Europe Day. If you remember, ticker tape flew from the windows in New York and people were grabbing one another and hugging one another and kissing one another and dreaming of the freedom people were celebrating millions had died and the menace that had come to take over the world and destroy it had been beaten down by people who loved not their lives to the death who put their self right out there in the battle, in front, and died so that we might be free. And those people who died that we might be free, we become free. You see, freedom isn't what we should be dying for. We should die for Christ and His cause and His kingdom. When freedom becomes our God, which I think it had, God will take that away from us too. But the great euphoria of a nation after a great turn in events is what is being celebrated here in Psalm 126. As we begin to look at the psalm, it's just a few verses long. Psalm 126 has a very short, inspired heading that places it as it says, a song of ascents. This is the seventh psalm of ascent and it has no author ascribed to it as we are now almost halfway up the journey with Israel as they come up for their pilgrimage journey to worship in Jerusalem in the temple of Zion historians and theologians have a number of theories about when these 15 psalms were first used by Israel as i read about them i haven't actually did not research this part of it because when I heard they did it, I just said, well, they did it. But as I began to read the content of the, the Psalms of Ascent, I began to think, well, I wonder when they did because this happened a lot later in Israel's history than David and Solomon. But one of the historical postulates that seems the most plausible to me is that these 15 Psalms were written over the period of the history of Israel individually. And that at some point, and I'll tell you when I think so, at some point they were collected and put in a grouping of 15. You will find in the Dead Sea Scrolls, they are listed in this perfect order, and that this is something that apparently happened at a certain date. History and uh, those in scholarship on this uh, believe that these things, that the Psalms of Ascent were actually used here at this time right at this time that we're talking about at the return of the Babylonian captivity when they began to celebrate that they take the psalms from throughout the scriptures and this one was that we're in today was written at the time it happened and this is one of the psalms that make the psalm of a sense the reason that they they from that point forward always said them is because of the psalm we're in today As Nehemiah rebuilt the walls of Jerusalem in 445 B.C., or sometime thereafter, we cannot know for certain, but several of the Psalms, it says, were written by David here in the Psalms of Ascent. This grouping, some were written by Solomon and even others who lived during and after the Babylonian captivity and deliverance. It would have been the case. There is some 400 years between David and this time period, and so... If you have the psalm that we have here today being read about the deliverance and some being written by David, it makes sense that this collection was put together after. Today's psalm particularly brings out the subject matter within it as it happened 400 years, as I said, from the time of David. When we get to verse 1, Jason, it says this. It says, when the Lord turned again the captivity of Zion... We were like them that dream. I don't think we can imagine what this would have been like. I really don't. I don't think we can imagine what it would have been like to, you knew and you heard that 70 years ago something happened, that you used to be a nation, that there was a Jerusalem, that there was a temple. Most of the people had never seen it. Most of them would be dead. There would be a few, a very few that would still be alive. I was talking to my children yesterday afternoon about this, that it's probably why God called Jeremiah at such a young age, Jason, so that he would still be alive at the end of it. He prophesied about it happening before, and he's around at this time as well. And he needed a young fellow to do that because seventy years is a long time. So at this time, Joshua or at this time, Jeremiah would be in his mid-eighties uh, and maybe even older than that. I we certainly don't know uh, all of the particulars of the exact dates. It's hard to tell. Some of these things are very, uh, very difficult to, to figure out. But there wouldn't be a whole lot, right? If a whole nation was taken captive and you were put in prison, how many of that nation would still be alive, Jason, 70 years later? Not a lot of the same. And you know, I, I didn't make this a part of my sermon, but I was thinking about it, so I'm going to just mention it to you. Do you know during that time, I was them been a very horrible time, but you know what someone had to do, Sister Joy? Someone had to preserve who the Jews were. There, was, there were some mothers and fathers and people who, even in the captivity, were doing what? They were, telling their, they were telling their children, hey, you're Jewish. Hey, you need to learn the Hebrew language. Hey, you need to understand we have the Word of God, and let me tell you what God did for us. And they were doing this throughout this period. Because if they had not been doing it, what ends up happening here, they would never have been ready for it. They wouldn't have. And we'll get to that in just a second. Somebody had to be teaching all along in the midst of the destruction, in the midst of the judgment, in the midst of captivity. How many of these children, Rachel, were born in the midst of this time? If the Lord blesses you and you have children, your children may be born in the time of captivity. And what are you going to do? You're going to just go, well, God gave up on us. Or will you say, no, 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 honey. God loves us. He loves us. Let me tell you about the country I used to live in. We used to be able to drive anywhere. We used to be able to do anything. And we used to be able to worship and raise our hands. And nobody cared. But you know what, honey? We People didn't hardly want to go to church anymore because life was so much. in. There was just too much to do and too much fun. And church was so boring and This is what people thought and they turned away from God and they they started to love the things of the world. This is what some mother was doing. Not just some mother, but a whole nation of them. A bunch of them had to be doing this because when this day comes, they would have never been ready for it. Imagine, we don't know what story we're living in right now, Jason. We have no idea. What if today's the last free day we live? We don't know it. We don't know it. We take for granted what we have. The Lord had brought judgment on Israel because she had turned away in her prosperity to profane the name of God by worshiping idols and making league with the Canaanites instead of utterly destroying them or casting them out of the promised land as God had told them to do. It was the Lord who raised up the enemies of Israel and made them to grow in power and strength so that they could destroy Jerusalem and Solomon's temple there on the holy mount of God. It was the Lord who had told them that he would do this, that he would give the land 70 Sabbaths, that Israel had refused to give the land as they languished in Babylon. They were giving them rest now. Through this time, he continued to speak to them through prophets, that there would be coming a day, that there would come an end to all of this, that God would restore Israel to their land and give them once again a place to worship and live. God's people were not abandoned in these things. They were being Preserved. Everybody say they were being preserved. God had brought them and put them in the fiery furnace of affliction to purge the dross out of them. And now it was time to bring the precious metal out of the fire. Weeping had endured for 70 years of nights and now the morning of God's new mercies has dawned again and their captivity had ended. It had been a time of endless nightmares and grieving and now now that the deliverance had finally come, they were like those that dreamed. Can you imagine what it would have been like? Could you imagine hearing the news, Sally, for the first time? Could you imagine going, You know, I don't know what it was like for the slaves in America when the Emancipation Proclamation was sent forth. Somebody said, it's over. And you're like, it's over? Yeah, you're free. This is what Psalm 126 is about. We were like them that dreamed. Watching the horrors of their destruction and captivity, they no doubt entered the dream state of trauma, but now they were dreaming the dreams of the deliriously delighted. That's quite a turn. That's what I call a God turn. It only takes a moment to change everything. And sometime, nothing needs to change but our perspective. Like when Patrick was set free from his slavery in Ireland and given passage by God back home to Britain. Remember, God sends him a dream. And he says, I'm going to prepare a ship for you. Go out there. And he does. And there the ship is. Imagine, Jonathan, he's on the ship and he's going, whoa, <laughs> I never thought I would see home. I never thought it was ever going to happen. But he's feeling the wind on his face as he's sailing across to Britain. And he's wondering, what in the world is going on? He was free in a moment. And at that moment, he knew. What did he know? As soon as he was free, and you know what he knew, he said, "I got to go back. I now know why God imprisoned me. How could I learn the culture and the people and the language and to love these people if I'd not been a slave?" But in that moment, all of a sudden, his slavery, which is sure had been his captivity, had been so dramatic in his lifetime, he now began to be a part of his joy. Oh, look what God was doing! Look what God was doing! He understood then why God had torn him out of the comforts of his home and his life and into the nightmare of captivity. It was to prepare him for the work that he never could have been prepared for. If God had called him then, he would have just been a worthless teenage boy who had nothing to offer. Here in verse 1, the writer who seems to have witnessed and experienced this for himself was given the words by God through it all. Because of this, we have this eternal and timeless psalm of praise. Perhaps this is what this writer of the psalm's whole life was. It was to write this one psalm. The pen that God had given him to, to pen the spoken words from the lips of God for all those who will, that follow after to read, to study, and to sing. Words that will outlast heaven and earth itself. Wouldn't that be a wonderful and noble life's purpose to be the writer of Psalm 126? He may have been raised up and in, in, in captivity. He may and he's and he's like, oh, we were like because he says that we, everybody say we. He's he experienced that we were like them that dreamed. He had probably spent a lifetime dreaming wondered if the idea of Israel, if the beauty of what God had, that it wasn't real. My mom and dad told me we used to gather together and we would smell the cooking uh, of the the flesh pots inside the temple of the sacrifices and the beautiful smell going up before God and the people of God sang and they worshiped and the priests and their their, their sanctified garments that were so beautiful. Do you know that King Ahasuerus didn't have an outfit prettier than the high priest? Jeff, do you know that when he was celebrating, he went and sent for the outfit of the high priest to wear it because he said there was none more beautiful than that oh, you should see the high priest. He goes and he goes in the temple and he begins to worship God and the fire comes down. Can you remember? He was living in a life and they're telling them this is what God used to do. We would all come together three times a year and we would sing and we would dance and we would pray and this little one, whoever he was, he was hearing about it and he would probably dream about it and hope for it and wonder and they say, you know, they say, that God's going to bring us back again one day. And Amy, his whole life, had been dreaming and thinking and hoping. And maybe, but it seemed so impossible. When the Lord turned again the captivity of Zion, we were like them that dream. Do you know we could live in a day like that? You know, this might be what tomorrow is like, or a month is of like from night. We we go, well, if we had known that, I mean, imagine, I'm serious. I mentioned earlier about God filling up all of these things and people be, if that happens, is anybody going to look back and go, all that bad stuff that happened to me was terrible. You know what you'll do? You'll go, well, I can see now what God was doing. I can see now what God was preparing. I can see now that God needed this to be because of what he was going to do and how it's, oh God. and, and, And then that thing that was so painful and hurtful and difficult and traumatic, it'll actually be part of the story, just like it was. We were once slaves in Egypt and we were there, and we were bending low under the taskmaster's whip, and they beat us, and they took away our straw, and we couldn't make bricks, and they treated us like dirt, and they they, they beat us, and they treat us terrible, and we lived like that, and we couldn't even do what we wanted. You like, but then God sent Moses, right? That was their story. They didn't, You don't have a story without being slaves in Egypt, but they had that story. Ezra the scribe who, according to scripture, was a descendant of Israel's last high priest before the exile, records the events of this day in the scroll called Ezra-Nehemiah. You may not realize that Ezra-Nehemiah was one scroll. It was really one book, but we separated it into two books of the Bible. Did you guys know that? So Ezra wrote it. It was called Ezra-Nehemiah. Ezra 1-1 launches out of the gate with news that could not have been more surprising and startling to Israel than if Moses himself had risen from the dead to lead Israel out of the bulrushes of Babylon. Ezra chapter 1, when you read it, if you just read it like it's like once upon a time, or oh yeah, do you know this happened? No, Ezra chapter 1, starting in the beginning of Ezra, is one of the most ex- insane trumpet blasts of an announcement that exists in the entire Bible. But you don't know it. In fact, there should be a gigantic trumpet blast. There should be like dancing people all over the page. Imagine it. Israel's destroyed. The temple's destroyed. Israel's taken captive. Their lives are hopeless. The the Babylonians that were, were under Nebuchadnezzar, they were bad but the, but now these people that captured them they're even worse and and oh it's you know and we're slaves of sla- we're like the, we're like so bad off oh, there's no hope for us and then all of a sudden Ezra chapter 1 Ezra writes these words down he says that in in fact i don't have verse 1 I, I, for whatever reason i don't have verse 1 Let me find it. Ezra, who, who can find Ezra 1 uh, 1? Read it out loud, Tim, real loud. Ezra 1 1. I'm going to read, I got the rest of it. For some reason, I don't have verse 1. imagine verse 1 he says oh yeah you know what happened the king of Persia made a proclamation through all the land God stirred him up so it would fulfill the prophecy of Jeremiah which was that God was going to end their captivity in 70 years time he says king of Persia and here's what it was here's the proclamation could you imagine reading this could you imagine you being a Jew and they they take it and they nail it to everywhere and and you like go and you read the proclamation. You know, you're kind of like walking around, you know, you're doing your thing. Thus saith Cyrus, king of Persia, the Lord God of heaven has given me all the kingdoms of the earth and he hath charged me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Now the first line would be like, what am I reading? Who is among you of all his people? His God be with him and let him go to Jerusalem, which is in Judah, and build the house of the Lord God of Israel. He is the God, which is in Jerusalem. You're like going, what? Could you imagine this? Whosoever remains in any place where he sojourns, let that man of his place help him with silver and gold, with goods and with beasts, besides a free will offering for the house of God that's in Jerusalem. (laughs) Guys, uh, leaving Egypt through Moses and Pharaoh, that was amazing. But what happens here is much more amazing. When they left Egypt, they left through trickery, under the affliction of the ten plagues, And they plundered the Egyptians by pretending to borrow gold and silver. They said, oh, we're going to go out and worship for a few days. Will you let us go? They're tricking Pharaoh. God had to do plagues. The firstborn of Egypt is dying. I mean, this is rough, right? You know how God does it this time? He goes, I'm going to stir up the king of Cyrus to make a proclamation to let my people go. And I want everyone around you to give them silver and gold and animals and everything they need. Can you believe this? Here they were sent forth by the king in writing to rebuild the temple with free will offerings from their neighbors. And if that was not overwhelming enough, there was more. You can read about this. I don't have time to read it all. I'll get down to verse six in Ezra chapter one. And all they that were around them strengthened their hands. So not only did the king say you should do it, everybody said they did it. They strengthened their hands, they gave them vessels of silver, gold, goods, beasts, precious things, besides all that was willingly offered. Verse 7, Cyrus the king brought forth vessels from the house of the Lord, the ones that Nebuchadnezzar had brought forth out of Jerusalem and had put them in the house of his gods. Here we have Cyrus bringing out the things that were stolen. Not just the gold from them so they could be remade again. No, but the very ones from the house of God. How many? Verse 11 tells us. This is quite amazing. I couldn't imagine there could ever be. I don't think we really understand what went on in temple worship. All the vessels of gold and silver were 5,400. And you go, what in the world? Well, I guess if all of Israel is going to come together and you're going to have a feast and a party, you need a lot of dishes, honey. And there were 5,400 of them still around made of gold and silver and made beautiful that had been in the temple of God. This was one of the greatest God turns in all the history of the earth. As it was said of Job who lost all of his wealth and his vast numbers of livestock and all of his children, it says after he prayed for his friends who had not been acting like friends at all, it says, quote, Here in Job 42.10, that the Lord restored his fortunes. In fact, that the Lord gave him twice as much. As it was said of of David and his mighty men who lost everything at Ziklag, their wives, their children, their stuff to the Amalekites. They ran to the battle with, with these plundering Amalekites. In 1 Samuel 30, it says, they, quote, recovered all and more. So it was for Israel as it began for them this marvelous day. They were like them that dream. This is what God does for His people. This is what He does for the people He lovingly, but often harshly disciplines, more than we even think that we can bear. But what does He do through it all? He restores us and He gives us more than we had in the beginning. This is a God turn. This is not something man can do. No U-turns ever turn out like this. But God turns due. When we come to verse 10, it says, Then their mouth was filled with laughter, their tongue was filled with singing, and then said they among the heathen, The Lord hath done great things for them. They laughed. Everybody say they laughed. They sang. This is what we do when God turns things around. Job wasn't laughing when he lost his children, when a tornado took his house when he sat with boils on his body and his friends were trying to convince him he had done something wrong. And he's like, but I didn't do anything. I really didn't. like, you must have. You, you had to do something. I mean, all this bad stuff wouldn't happen. to you. No, 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 no. The Lord's good. The Lord's been good to me. I'll take anything he has. I'll take anything God has to give me. If God wants to send me boils, if he wants to take my children, the Lord give it, the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. What do you think? As God began to bless Job and Job began to understand what God was doing, somehow Job had to know what God was doing for him to write that book. God had to explain it to him. He had to tell him, imagine that day for Job. Just so you know, Job, I picked you out. I chose you. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to take care of you. And of course, you'll see all your, you'll see your children in heaven again. The world's eternal or you're eternal. And this heaven that you're going to be in with them, all of this, this life's a vapor was telling a great story through you, Job. Not only did they laugh and they sing, I love this part about it. It says they filled the mouths of their enemies with praise to God because even they could see that this was not merely a reversal of fortunes, but that this had not come happenstance, that this was something that had to be the hand of God. You know, if God sends revival on our nation and changes it and and He does it in some way that He would do it, nobody's going to get the credit for it. Nobody will be the, the architect of it. Nobody will be the advertiser of it. Nobody will be... God will be moving and they'll be like, going, well, what's going on? And we're like, well, we don't know. We can't control it. We don't know what to do. It was in writing by the hands of Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Daniel, and more for all to hear and see, that this is what was going to happen and it was what had happened. They told them destruction was coming and destruction came. They told them captivity would happen and that came. They told them it would end after 70 years and it ended. There was no ambiguity. Everybody knew it, Israel knew it, and the heathen knew it. The heathen probably been making fun of them for 70 years. <laughs> they got some prophet telling them that at the end they're going to be restored. <laughs> They were probably secular Jews. You know, we used to, we used to believe in the Lord, and, but we realize now that, you know, it's just our cultural and tribal identity, our ethnic background, and that, you know, we've made up these stories from the beginning because we needed a creation story, and this is why we have the Bible, but they're, they're very similar to a lot of the creation stories of these other people. These Jews had become secular even in their captivity. Some of the very smart and very wise ones. And now, what, what are they? They're dumbfounded. They're like, uh, okay. Seventy years came and deliverance came and now they're sending us back and they're giving us money and they're giving us cedars from Lebanon and they're giving us beasts and gold and silver and they've emptied out everything that Nebuchadnezzar took. And whole. You think about, revi- this is a revival breaking out in Israel, I can tell you right now. Nobody had to be convinced they ought to go to church. I think we should pray today. I think maybe we should observe. No, no one was having to be. Do you think they were, Rachel? They're like, oh, you know, I mean, being in Babylon wasn't all that bad. I mean, you know. Even Cyrus, also known in history as Artaxerxes, gave full credit to the God of heaven who had moved him to this unprecedented action. This is what awaits those that wait on the Lord who find themselves in dark places with little or no hope. When you can't turn things around, a God turn may very well be coming to your life. Our mouths too at that time will be filled with laughter. Our voices will sing of the goodness of God. Perhaps we too will write a song about it when our time comes. How God turned around what we could not turn around. And in those times, we won't be the only ones who will see it. Even those who don't know God will have a very hard time denying what they too can see. And we will sing with Israel the words of verse 3. I think it's funny in verse 2, the heathen say it first. But in verse 3, Israel saying it, the Lord has done great things for us wherefore we are glad. Could be one of the most understated uh, verses of the Bible. The Lord's done some really good things for us. What did He do? He brought us out of Babylon. He gave us everything that we need to build the temple. He gave us permission. He gave us gold. He gave us everything we need. He restored us. He did what He said He was going to do. He fulfilled His promise. His loving kindness has brought us out of darkness and put us into His marvelous light. And they're probably going, you know, You know, this is exciting. I think we need to get a choir together. And we need to start singing about this. And we need to do something. Have you been in a place, have you come to see as impossible through your own power to come out of? Are you still in a place like that right now? Psalm 126 was written for all those in need of and praying for a God turn in their own lives God encourages us to have faith that he cares for us and that he is at work in us telling his great story through us. That's what he was doing to Israel. It's no different in your life. God didn't make you so that he could pick the wings off of you like a helpless fly. He doesn't get joy out of seeing you suffer. He loves you. His mercies for you are new every morning and he is at work constantly in your life to draw you nearer to him. In the last two verses of this inspired song, the psalmist calls out to God for all those right now in this kind of need, right now at his time that he lived and those that would follow after who would be asking God to do it again. Do it again. They found themselves in the same place again. They can pray for God to do it again. This is a psalm reminding us that all these things did not just happen to them, but they can still happen to us. And they can happen for us who will pray and believe. When we get to verse 4, he says this, Turn again our captivity. What is he talking about? Turn again our captivity, O Lord, as the streams in the south. When he wrote this, they realized that they were, yes, they'd been set free. And yes, something good had happened to them. But they realized that this could happen to them again. Psalm 126 was written for the people who are living in the next time that God brings judgment in the world because God will bring it again. As long as mankind sins and rejects God and turns and goes his own way, God will continue to discipline him. He will continue to chide the church until she is pure, till she is washed, till she is presented to him a glorious bride, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing. But that she is washed in the blood of the Lamb. Do it again, Lord. Redeem us from our own captivity and despair. Do what we cannot do for ourselves so that we too can laugh and sing and we can be the cause of the heathen to praise your name. Do it again, Lord. Do it again. And the dry stream beds in the Negev region. He mentions these stream beds here in verse 4. These, these, these. Stream beds seem forever thirsty. I've been there. Me and the boys drove through there. You can see these, these stream beds are hard as a rock. They're drier than, 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 than Mars. They look as though water has never been in them or ever will be in them. But there is a time of the year, Sister uh, Christina, when the rain begins to fall, and when they do, water rushes down them and they become raging rivers. And what he said is, do it to us again. When we become a dry riverbed, when we become so hopeless, so it looks like there can never be any water flowing from us, Lord God, do it in us and send rain into us and water the earth through us. We are the dry... And we seem beyond anything like water. Fill us, Lord, with your Holy Spirit like you fill these dry riverbeds as they run and rage with torrents of water and turn the whole land into another world. Do this for us, O Lord, for we too are dry and thirsty and we need your heavenly waters to rain down upon us. Make us the dry dirt of sinful man. Make us rivers of life that out of our bellies will flow rivers of living water. Isn't this what Jesus said we would be? He that believeth on me, as the scripture has said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. Do it, Lord. Do it in me, Lord. Do it in me. Let this be our cry today at Foundation Church. Do it again, Lord, and do it in me. The world is a dry place. You might even be feeling dry, but you can say, Lord, fill me with your Holy Spirit. I don't know what's going on at Asbury College right now, but this week when a one-hour chapel service won't end and it's still going 60 hours later, when classes are canceled and young people will not leave as they pray and they sing and they call on God. I don't know it's the beginning of something greater that will spread over a nation or if it's just happening in them. But when it's happening, I say, oh, yes, do it again, Lord. Do it again. Do it again. Night and day right now, they're singing, they're praying. Buses from other schools filling up of join them people from the area have been coming in to see what is going on i don't know what god is doing but let it be lord save us lord save our nation from the confusion of our day the dryness of our prosperity the distraction of our entertainment save us lord from our own promised land that we have fallen in love with more than we love you burn our cities if you have to lord Burn them with nuclear weapons from China, Russia, North Korea. If that's what it takes to shake us from the complacency of our ease, do it again, Lord. Send true revival into the hearts of the people of his church, of this church, of my family. Fill us as you fill the dry water beds overflowing and let us be a blessing. To a thirsty world. How many want that? How many want that in this church? How many want this in your life? You might go, I can't figure out how to make my kids mine. I can't figure out how to get them to clean the house. I can't figure out how to get them to love each other. I'll tell you what, a good dose of the Holy Spirit, a good rushing of the the mighty river of God's power in your house, I think it might have a change. It might produce some change. Some of my friends that are in the ministry have driven down there and they're like, hey, you know what? Evidence of these things not being crazy are changed lives and I went down there and I saw a few people whose lives have been changed I heard them testify about what God was doing and so they are encouraged that what's down there might be real As we get to verse 5, I'm going to tell you I I don't I, I can't imagine what the writer meant But I can tell you I know what I know what this means for us because Jesus quoted it, the apostles quoted it. This is an image that comes from scriptures and what in the world is doing in the book of Psalms. In this Psalm 126, I don't know. It has to be sh- sheerly prophetic from God. Because they didn't know anything about what we are living through and what we're going through and how God was going to save the world. They didn't know it, but they said it like this. They that sow in tears shall reap in joy. And I say, let your waters, O Lord, that come forth from us, water the seed of your word planted by faithful preachers around this world. Let the tears of our suffering be the start of the downpour of the latter rain, that we who sow the seeds of your word will live to see and reap with joy. And he says this in verse 6, he that goes forth weeping, bearing precious seed, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him, Imagine if the tears that you cried and the suffering that you have endured were watering the seeds of what God was doing. Your tears won't seem wasted then. You might say, oh, my heart was broken. I love that person, that person that hurt me and that person that left our life, the people that left our church. Oh, we cried. And what if God said, yeah, those tears, you know what those tears were? Those tears were the water that I used to go on the seeds of the word of God. And I would say, oh Lord, hurt me again. Make me cry again, Lord, for they that go forth weeping, bearing precious seeds, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing sheaves with them. Imagine if that was the tears of your eyes with a watering can of revival. Oh, God, bring it. If this is not us, I don't know what is. We too have wept and sown and suffered and kept on preaching God's word. Oh, the Lord, that he would water the seeds that have been planted in these young people here in this church. Let them sprout forth and see in them as they become the bread of this church. This is what I believe will be our God turn. I am believing that God will use the people of this little church, this battered and bruised gang of ragamuffins to win the lost, change the course of history for family after family as God has done for you and your own families. I am believing for an outpouring of the Holy Spirit right here that will bring God's kingdom right here in this not-so-shining city that has been named Mount Sterling for a reason, maybe prophetically so, no mountain here, nothing sterling here, but there will be a day when people won't remember that. They'll go, oh, we know why it's called that. There's a mountain of a people there who shine, who are like a, 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 a city on a hill that cannot be put out, a light that can't be put out, that can be seen, that glorifies God in a place where there was no mountain. Oh, we know why it's called Mount Sterling. And they'll go, oh no, you don't know. It wasn't, there wasn't, that wasn't there when they named it. Oh, but it's there now. I am believing for an outpouring of the Holy Spirit that will bring God's kingdom right here. One day, I believe Mount Sterling will be seen as a gleaming city touched by God and brought out of the captivity of Satan. May it be so, Lord, and may be we the ones in us who do it again we got a place to bring the sheaves into. we got a people who are faithful. If lost people come here, are you going to direct them to God's Word? Will you love them? Will you teach them? Will you have time in your life to invite them to your house, to bring them to your table, to sit around, to be a part, to talk about God's Word? I don't know anybody here that isn't ready for that. May it be, Lord. May it be. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, You have prepared us, we know, for such a time as this. We don't know how or when or what our role will be, but Lord, we are saying as your servant says, here am I, Lord, send me. Lord, if there's some sheaves to be brought in, bring them in. If there are some hungry children who are hungry for a real dose of a Holy Spirit-filled service for God, those who love your word, who say no to the things of this world, we are ready for them right now, Lord. Lord, send them here. We will be faithful to them. Lord, if we are going out with the sickle to bring in the sheaves of the lost, let us go. Let us gather in the church and let the church be ignited and united, Lord. May we put in the past, Lord, all of the the pettiness, Lord, that is there. The division of doctrines and uh, the division of denomination, O God. And may we see your spirit moving. May we see it, O God. Lord, as I'm ending this prayer, I'm remembering what my friend who posted online this morning said. He said that a sign of true revival is unity. I was sort of wondering why he would say that, but now I remember it from the book of Acts. That's exactly what happened. They were in one place. They were in one accord. And suddenly, Lord, we are a people and we do certainly have unity. We love each other. We are unified to follow you. We want that more than we want anything. Yes, we've been distracted. Yes, we've been hurt. Yes, we've been pummeled. Yes, we've fallen in love a little bit with the world too much. But we're ready to ditch it. And Lord, if you give us work to do, we will gladly do it. We will lose ourselves in doing it, Lord God. And we know that you will provide what we need. Lord, this has been your work that you've done in us since the beginning. Do it again. Do it again. In Christ's name we pray and all God's people said, amen. Thank you so much for joining us today. I pray your time with us was very encouraging. If it was, consider sending us a note and also consider partnering with us.